Acts chapter number 11, beginning at verse number 1. And the Bible says that the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision and a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay, and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that called not thou common. And this was done three times, and they were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the men's house. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved." As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. And then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them uh, the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Father, we bow before you here this morning, Lord, in, in all of your greatness and your wonder. Lord, in all of the amazing grace that you have given uh, to, to us, word. Uh, Lord, we're in all of the sacrifice that was made for us, in all of the relationship, Lord, that a sinful people can have with a holy God through faith in your Son, Jesus. Father, I pray today that you would stir our hearts with the Holy Scriptures this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would take this word and penetrate our hearts with it, Father, and help us to see and to understand and to learn. And most of all, Lord, as your scriptures are open to us, I pray, O oh Father, that we would believe, that we would believe your word which has been given to us. Thank you uh, that we know, that we know, that we know that our Redeemer lives today, that he's alive and well. And not only is he alive, Father, I am grateful today that he is sitting at your right hand forever making intercession for us. The Lord Jesus is praying for this service right now. And I pray, Father, that, um, that he would be honored and glorified here, Lord, that we would worship you as our, as our God, and Father, that your Holy Spirit uh, would be given to us today. Would you fall on us here this morning? We ask it all in Jesus' name, and amen. 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 You can be seated, folks. How many people, as I was reading the passage this morning, how many people said, he's reading the same thing that he read last week? 
It sounds exactly almost word for word for what we read in chapter number 10 last week, but we, uh, it's, it's tied together, but I've learned one thing, and as a father, as a parent, I understand this, that when something's important, your parents tell you more than once, don't they? And the Holy Spirit has decided that this needed to be continued on uh, in another chapter. And so that's why we're here today. But Peter uh, had been traveling from Jerusalem. He went down to, uh, to a place called uh, uh, Joppa. And uh, there was this man in Caesarea by the name of Cornelius. If you weren't here last week, that was a Roman centurion. The Bible says that he was a devout man, that he was very religious, that he, he not only was he religious, but not in the Roman religion. He was religious in Judaism. He would go to the temple and pray. He'd been exposed to many of the Jews, and, and he gave alms. He did good deeds, and he had a good name with the people there in that town. But there's one problem with Cornelius. Of all of those wonderful things the Bible says about him, he was still lost as a ball in tall weeds. Because he didn't, he had all these wonderful characteristics, but he didn't have Christ. And so, because he had prayed to God and he was a seeking man, the Lord saw that he was seeking him. And you can rest assured today that if you are seeking God, he will be found of you. Amen? He is not far from any one of us, but the word is nigh even in our mouth, the Bible says in the book of Romans. But uh, so the Lord gave Cornelius a vision. He said, I want you to send to Joppa and uh, look for this man named Peter, uh, Simon, whose surname is Peter. And so uh, at the same time that he's having this dream, the next day Peter's there in Joppa. The Bible says he's on the rooftop. That was a place that they would often go in that time of the world. They still often go there in that place of the world because it's one of the coolest places to be in such a hot place. And Peter was up there and he was praying that day. And while Peter was praying, the Lord gave, gave him a vision. And we read a little bit about that vision here this morning about this great sheet that was let down and uh, that there were all manner of beasts and wild animals and fowls. And basically, these were things, according to the, uh, to the Jewish law, that they were not supposed to eat. They had been called at one point in time, these things had been known as unclean animals. And the Spirit says to Peter, rise and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I, I've never had anything uh, un, uncommon or, or unclean in my mouth. And, uh, and the Lord said, Peter, call not, call not thou common that which I've cleansed. If the Lord has cleansed it, it's clean. Amen. That's a good place for an amen this morning. If the Lord has cleansed it, it's clean. And so what the Lord was teaching Peter uh, uh, was the, the work that he was going to do in the church. Because up to this point, only, only Jews and Samaritans, people which are partly Jew, for the most part, are the only people that have been included in the church at this point. And this is the first time that true Gentile people, and the word Gentile, by the way, just means not Jewish. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. And this was the first time that in a large number, uh, the gospel was presented, the Holy Spirit fell, and these people come to put their faith and trust in Christ. But a few things we want to pick up along the way here this morning. The first of all, if you look in your Bible, there is the confirmation of salvation. There in verse number one, the Bible says, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Word got out quickly that there were 
people who were not Jewish, there were Gentiles in this place called uh, Caesarea that had been saved. And, and I've heard it said that it's funny how the people who know the least about you always have the most to say. Isn't that interesting? And that's how gossip off, often works. The people that know the least about the situation are the ones that have the most to say. And this has nothing to do with the message today, but it does have something to do with our Christian lives, and that's that we ought not to gossip. Oh, my. Nothing? Ah, oh, there it is. We ought not to gossip. Anyway... Word had gotten out. This was big news, by the way, amongst the apostles and amongst those that were Christians uh, because the Holy Spirit had not been given to those that were not Jewish before this point. But not only do we see the confirmation of salvation, but the next thing that happens is the contention of the saints. Look there in verse number two. The Bible says, When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, that they were of the, that were of the circumcision contended with him. What's he talking about when he says they that were of the circumcision? He's talking about the Jews. Jewish people had been commanded, uh, the Hebrews, as they were called in Abraham's day, the Lord had told them that on the eighth day they were to circumcise their, their male young. That was the thing that set them apart from all the other pagan nations that were around them. So when the Bible talks about circumcision, that's just another word for the Jews. So the Jews, when Peter came back to Jerusalem, the Jews contended with him. That word contendment, uh, contending means to pass judgment or uh, to separate with a hostile spirit. They were, in other words, they were upset with Peter. And they wanted to contend with him about what was going on. And they list a couple of reasons in the next verse. It says, saying that thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, a.k.a. men who are not Jews, Gentiles. You went into their house. Not only did you assemble with them, but you ate with them. How in the world could you do such an unclean, horrible... Peter, this is terrible. How could you do something like this? And what happens is uh, the next verse as Peter begins the clarification of the story. And I've heard it said oftentimes that no good deed goes unpunished, right? And so Peter... Uh, let, well, let me ask you this question before I say that. Have you ever had to explain yourself? Even, have you ever had to explain yourself maybe for something that wasn't a bad thing? I saw a lot of the men shaking their hands. Yeah, we get in trouble a lot. Uh, I remember one time when, when, when our kids were young, Ella was getting ready to go to preschool. And at that time, the preschool teachers would come to the house and do a home visit. And so while they were there, they're there to meet the child and meet the family and, you know, kind of build a little bit of a relationship. And so we're sitting there in our living room and she's talking to Ella and she's asking her all these questions. And Ella looks at her, and she says, do you have any children in your class that bite? And she goes, well, I hope not. And she goes, well, if they do, my dad told me I can pop them in the mouth. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Uh, we, had a, we had a cousin. Ella, Ella has a cousin. We still have a cousin, by the way. Uh, Ella's age on my side of the family, and she had a, a propensity to bite. And it went on for a long time, and finally one day, as, a, as a, a jealous parent can get sometimes, I told her, I said, honey, you're not allowed to start trouble, but you are allowed to defend yourself. Next time she bites you, pop her in the mouth, and that'll put a stop to that. And so my daughter took that and used that against me. Can you imagine that she would do such a thing? I had to explain myself. Uh, some of you might remember, anybody here remember I Love Lucy? 
Come on now, there's more than that. I know you don't want to, there you go. I know you don't want to show your age today, but sometimes uh, Lucy and Ricky, boy, she would get these crazy ideas about things they were going to do in their shows, and, and uh, she'd get Ricky in all kinds of trouble, and he'd say, Lucy, you got some, some explaining to do. You got some splaining to do. And that's what happened when Peter come back from Jerusalem. He's standing there before these other apostles. And they said, Peter, you got some splaining to do. You're going to have to tell us what it is that was going on. And Peter uh, was, was ready to do that. And before I move on about this contention, I do want to say this, that there is a way that we should handle contention. And we all face it. I mean, we all face contention at different times and, and different places. You're going to run into people. Uh, if you've been alive more than three days, you've met somebody that didn't agree with the things that you believe or the things that you do, or you didn't agree with the things that they believe or that they do. And oftentimes we find ourselves in contention with these things. And we see with Peter's example today that the, the way that we ought to react to that is by expounding and not by engaging. When you've got somebody that is upset with you about something or a situation that's going on, don't engage in an argument with them. And here I am preaching to myself this morning. Because you know what happens when you begin? The Bible says in the book of James, that, oh, what a fire. Or, oh, what a flame, I believe it is. A little fire kindleth. Talking about the tongue. Such a tiny member, but such an evil member of our bodies. And not only is such an evil member, but such an easy thing to get out of control. For as little as that thing is, it seems like we ought to be able to get a hold of it and, and keep it from being unruly. But oftentimes that's not the case. And so let me encourage you today to not, not, to, exp not to engage with them in an argument, but expound to them. That word expound just means to explain. Tell them what happened. Talk with people. Don't argue, and especially don't ever argue with anybody about the Lord. People will get so upset and angry about the Lord that they use their testimony trying to witness. And that doesn't show Christ when you start yelling at people and arguing and carrying on. Don't allow, the devil loves to get a hold of that. The tongue sometimes is, uh, is compared to a rudder of a ship. It'll steer the whole thing. The devil would love to grab the wheel and steer where that conversation is going. Amen? So we expound. We don't engage. Uh, but Peter begins to expound to them in verse 5, and, and he's really, he's, he's talking about a number of things. The first thing that he begins to talk about is the preparation. Peter says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. So Peter begins to tell them that before any of this happened, that God began to prepare hearts. Here is, is Cornelius in a town called Caesarea, and he's seeking the Lord, only he doesn't really know for sure what he's seeking but he's seeking God and, and the Lord gives him a vision and says you need to go to this place and they will tell you what you ought to do and at the same time he's got the man of God that he's preparing and, and giving him a vision and helping him to understand and why did the Lord give Peter this vision? because if God hadn't given Peter this vision Peter would have never went to Caesarea to this Gentile the Lord had to prepare his heart and make him understand uh, that God gives mercy to whom he will give mercy. Amen? And it's not uh, secluded to one nation or, or, or one uh, tongue or kindred, uh, but God will be merciful to whoever that he 
chooses. And so it began with this seeker there in Caesarea. You've got a servant there in Joppa. Uh, by the way, there was a savior that died at Calvary that's involved in all of these things as well. And God sent the Holy Spirit working through every one of them and brought them together. He prepared every bit of this, uh, of this circumstance. Amen? Amen? What's God preparing in your life? Hey, listen to me. Oftentimes we get up and we go places and we think we're going to the grocery store. We think we're going to work or we think, I'm just going to go to church today. Maybe the kids want to go to Sunday school. And we had what we thought was our plan and we get there and find out that God had another plan. And that plan is for salvation. He is actively seeking and saving those which are lost. Amen? And so God was preparing hearts here in this place, and then Peter begins to talk about prayer because uh, when Peter was there in Joppa, what was he doing? He was praying. When, uh, when uh, Cornelius was in Caesarea, what was he doing? He was praying. And I read this quote, uh, this quote rather, uh, from John Calvin says that prayer doesn't change things, God changes things in answer to prayer. I like that. I like that because oftentimes we leave the God part out. We just say prayer changes things. And in a way, prayer does change things. But the reason prayer changes things is because we're asking God to do something and God changes things and in answer to prayer. God is the one that is powerful. In Mark 9, Jesus told the disciples when they were not able to help in a certain circumstance, and Jesus said, he said unto them, this kind came forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. There are certain circumstances in our lives. Uh, there are certain things that are happening in and around us that will only be helped by prayer and fasting. And a lot of times we're walking through life and we're not experiencing the goodness of God in the way that we could be if we would just pray. Our prayer meeting is the least attended service in this church. It ought to be the most, the most attended service. I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I'm grateful to see you when I get to see you, but things will change in this church when the people have a heart to pray. And when the people do not have a heart to pray, things will not change. Mark it down. Oswald Chambers said that prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is the work. That's what we're called to do. We have, what do we know about ourselves? We know that we are sinful and that we have no power. Even after we're saved, we have no power apart from him. But he has all power. Amen. And so why are we so negligent at asking him for his help? And I'm not saying that you don't ever pray. I know that you pray. You probably pray at home and, and maybe you pray at work and other places. I understand that. But I'm telling you before God that something powerful happens when a people comes together and sets their heart to pray. And until that happens... Something powerful is not going to happen in this place. Prayer, by the way, I want you to know, is mentioned in the book of Acts 31 times. The book of Acts is all about the church and the power of the Holy Spirit that was working there in that place. And 31 times in the book of Acts, the Bible talks about prayer. Second only to the book of Psalms, by the way, which is a book of prayer. Is the only, the only book that talks more than that. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that if we want to see God work in our lives and we want to see him work in this church, we have got to get serious about prayer, period. 
The problem, though, that began in this situation was the perception, and that's really what God wanted to deal with. That was the vision, what the whole vision was about, about the sheep, uh, so that God could change the perception, the understanding that Peter had about who could be saved. They were absolute, we know that the Bible says that salvation is of the Jews. Jesus Christ uh, is a Jew. And they thought that the Jewish people were the only people uh, that could be saved. And, and I want you to remember, uh, by the way, their perception with the, these people were unclean. They were Gentiles. In other words, they were not like us. And do you remember who wrote the book of Acts? A man by the name of Luke, who was a... Gentile. I believe Luke had a, uh, a unique perspective on this matter because he knew what it was like to interact with Jewish believers as a Gentile. And that's why the Lord used him to write the book of Acts. But I want to ask you here this morning, uh, like what we see happening here in Acts chapter 10 and 11, are we guilty of witnessing only to people that we like? Are we guilty of witnessing to people that are easy to witness to? Are, do we look for people that look like us? Do we witness to people that act like us or, or talk like us? Or maybe they, maybe they dress like us or, or they behave like us. Maybe are, are, we, are we going to these people and these people only to talk about the Lord? When, when you encounter people at work, and you encounter people uh, when you're out in the stores and, and you're out in the community or uh, maybe it's your family, wherever it is. Do you withhold from witnessing and talking to certain people because you've already decided in your mind who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? This is the whole reason that God was dealing with Peter. And let me just let you on, in on a little secret here. Early in chapter 10, God changed uh, Cornelius. And then he used that same situation to change Peter. And now he's bringing it up again in chapter 11 because he still needs to change the church. The church was back in Jerusalem and they hadn't had their, church, their hearts changed yet. What does God need to change about you? I spent a lot of time building houses in Columbus when I was working with another builder there. And some of the areas that I built in uh, were prone to have some, a lot of diversity in ethnicity. And up here, we don't get as much of that as they do in other places. Now, there's a lot more diversity in this county than there used to be when I was a young child. I still remembered when the first black man moved in in our county that I knew of and moved in right next door to my house. And I know without a shadow of a doubt why the Lord put that person next to my house because he had to change my father. And he had to change our thoughts on other people. I spent time building houses for people of every different country and, and some of them were, uh, there was a concentration of certain groups and, and, and different places. And I have no doubt that God put me in that place so that he can change my thoughts about how I feel about other people. How do, you, how do you feel about the people that, that you encounter and that you see? Is it possible, church, that you've already made your mind up about who can be saved or who should be saved? Or, or maybe, maybe not who can or should. Maybe you just made your mind up about who will. 
I know that that person would never get saved. Can I, can I just share with you this morning, that's not your decision. And it's not mine either. The Lord is the Savior. And the Lord had to deal with this in Peter. And he also had to deal with this in the church. And the question becomes then, church, are we guided more by providence? Or are we guided more by prejudice? And don't think for a minute that prejudice just has to be against a skin color or against a certain nationality. We're finding out very quickly that you can be prejudiced against the people of your own country if they don't see things the way you do. This country is being ripped apart because of the way that people treat one another. And let me just say this. I'm not condoning anybody's certain beliefs or activity. You know what I believe. I believe this book. I believe the person of this book, and I believe every word of this book. Does that mean I know every word of this book? Nope. But I've made a choice to believe it before I get to it. Whether, whether I understand it or not, I've chosen to trust in God and what he says. But we have people that don't see things and understand things the way that we do. And I want to share with you that you can't expect somebody to see and understand and behave the way you behave if they don't have what you have. And the only reason, if you are a born-again believing Christian today, the only reason you have the beliefs uh, and, and you behave the way that you do, at least the good parts, is because the Holy Spirit lives within you. And you cannot expect somebody that does not have the Holy Spirit living within them to behave the way a Christian ought to behave. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so what's our job? Our job is to do exactly what Peter did and not to call that common which God has cleansed. It's up to God. And by the way, it's not your job to determine whether God has cleansed them or not either. That's his job. Our job is to go to Joppa or go to Caesarea from Joppa and share the gospel. Amen? And to be obedient to God and to believe and do the things that he has called us to do. Are we guided more by providence or more by prejudice? Are we guided more by limitless love or by legalistic law? That was Peter's problem. Lord, the law says I shouldn't eat this and that. And, I shouldn't and the church said you shouldn't assemble with this and that. And all these things that were separating, they were pointing back to this law. The Bible says that we are free from the law. Whose law is it that we're under anyway? Amen? We're under the law of Christ. And we ought to love other people. And I hope that I never hear in this church some of the things that I have heard happen in other churches. When somebody comes in with, you know, a hat on or, or, you know, they've got a Mountain Dew in their hand or whatever it is, and somebody goes up to them and says, you shouldn't do that in this place. You know what happens in a situation like that? They walk out that door and they never come back. Would I sit in church with a hat on and a Mountain Dew and, and do all these different things? No, I wouldn't. But they've got to grow in grace, just like you and I do. And we ought to love people. Let me tell you this. If God accepts them, we ought to accept them. Amen? And I've heard people of, of telling people, you're sitting in my seat. Uh, one, one story here in this community from many years ago about a family that didn't have much during the, the, the Depression. And in those days, a lot of people would uh, make clothes out of feed sacks because that's all that they had. 
And this family got up and went to church one morning, and when they got there, somebody in the church said, you ought to be putting your best on for the Lord. I can't believe you came to church dressed that way. The person never went back to church. Never went back. Let me ask you who this morning, here this morning, who was dressed more inappropriately or whose robe was in worse shape? The person in the feed sack or the self-righteous person that pushed them away from the Lord? We need to witness to those that are even, that may not necessarily be exactly like we are. And, and I can tell you, the longer it goes, the more we realize that most are not like us, right? And let me remind you of this also, that God is not like us either. He's different than we are, bless his holy name. He's far better and far greater than we are, and we had better get busy witnessing to them that are different than us. We better get a grasp on grace, amen? And what it means and who it is for. This is called the present day of grace. And God has determined that time, and we need to get a grip on that. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and save one type of people. And you know what type of people that is? The lost. That's the only requirement. The only requirement they need to be sought out by the Lord is to be lost. Can I just ask this morning, how many of you were lost? None? None of you were lost? Yeah, every hand in this room ought to go up, including mine. Matter of fact, I'll put both of them up. If I could jump, I'd put my feet up too, but I don't want to fall down right now. Every single one of us are lost without the Lord Jesus Christ. And every, every one of us were lost before Jesus came. But Matthew Henry said this. He said, it is the bane and damage of the church to shut out them from it and from the benefit of the means of grace who are not in everything like ourselves. Isn't that something? The bane and the damage of the church to shut out them that are not like ourselves. What about you, Christian? What about when you go out in the world? Are you sharing Christ? As a matter of fact, are you living Christ before those around you? Are people being drawn to Christ just because they've been around you? Are they seeing godliness and holiness uh, in your life that gives them a desire to be drawn to this Christ that we love so much? Are they seeing, when, when people make mistakes, do you give them grace and mercy? I tell you what, you need something to add on your prayer list, praying church, pray for your pastor, because I need help in that department. I don't always think about it before I get this engaged, before this gets started. And when that happens, that's a problem. But the way that we're, I've noticed this much, the closer I am to the Lord, the least I struggle with these things. The more time I spend in fellowship with him, the more time I spend in prayer with him, the more time I spend in my Bible, the more time I spend in my church, the more time I spend uh, engaged in, in his work and in his activity, I've noticed the less I struggle with some of these other things. It's when I wander away a little bit and I get a little bit lax or a little bit lazy about my walk with Christ that these things start to slip in the back door unawares. 
after this perception, the Lord has dealt with this perception. Next, we see God's providence there. In verse number 9, the Bible says, At the end, The voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, call not thou common. And this was done three times, and just to make sure that he got the message. All were drawn up again into heaven, and behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. The, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I think, it's, uh, I think it's chapter 16, it says that a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so providence uh, was involved in this. God was directing Peter and everybody that was involved. And God had already, by the way, torn down the veil between himself and his, his people. You remember when Jesus died, there was the great veil at the temple, and it was two inches thick, 60 feet tall. I'm not even sure how wide it was, but the veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the only person that could come into that most holy place was the high priest. And he wasn't allowed to come in until he had made atonement, until he had made a sacrifice for himself, and then he would go in under the people. When Jesus Christ died, a.k.a. our high priest, the Bible says that the veil was torn from the top to the very bottom. From the top down, not from the bottom up. Man didn't tear that veil, God did. And the reason he tore that veil is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We now have access to that most holy place through him. God has already torn down the veil that separated God from his people. But here in Acts chapter 11, God is tearing down the wall that separated his people from the rest of the world. This legalistic view of us and them. Don't confuse what I'm telling you this morning. I'm not telling you that everybody goes to heaven. I'm not telling you that God accepts everybody. I'm telling you that God accepts those that will come through faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what happened in your past. If you are willing to repent of your sins and believe in God, then God will forgive you and cleanse your sin. Uh, he'll forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Amen? But that wall of separation had to be torn down uh, so that the church would understand. The church, as I said last week, is, was the mystery it was a mystery to these Jewish believers and these disciples that God would actually include whosoever will in his church. We go on in verse 12, we see the performance um, that Peter and, and the six brothers, they went into the house and the man told them about the vision that he had had with the angel and how he had told him to call for Peter and, uh, and how Peter would tell the words of, of how he and all of his house uh, could be saved. In other words, the Holy Spirit urged Peter to go and Peter got up and went. He was obedient uh, to the Lord and, and if you're going to call Jesus Lord, then the only answer when he calls is yes, Lord. Amen? Yes, Lord. And then we see the pouring out of the Holy Spirit there in verse 15. As he began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Let me tell you this. Don't ever think that there's power in something that you've done. I made that mistake one time, and I went on a cold streak that 
that was so bad. I, we had been uh, overseas, and we'd been witnessing, and people were getting saved, and it was just wonderful. And uh, I started to be, I started to lift myself up. I know what happened. I started to be arrogant about things, and somebody told me about a person that they cared about that was lost, and I said, let's go see this person, and, and uh, I was just convinced that I was going to go lead this fellow to the Lord, and when I got there, it was an absolute utter mess because of me. If the Holy Spirit doesn't fall on them, nobody's going to be saved. And be reminded that the Holy Spirit's the third part of the Trinity, and God doesn't share his glory with anybody. Amen? We see the comments of the Savior there. Jesus says in verse 16, that then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The proof of, of faith in, in John's day was the baptism by water, but when Jesus came, baptism would be of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the possession of the Holy Spirit is proof that we have Christ. And then the conclusion of the situation there in verse 17, I, Peter says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, they have the same thing that we have. The same thing happened to them. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did with us. What was I that I could withstand God? And so Peter says, since the Lord's already given them the spirit, how can we withhold the sign? The, the sign was baptism, right? How can we withhold that from them? If God accepts them, then I can accept them. And one of the most freeing things in the world is for us to recognize our responsibility, which is just to share the gospel and to be full of the Holy Spirit and to live for Christ. And then after we recognize our responsibility, we realize God's sovereignty, that God is the one that's in control. And God saves and he will draw and we allow him to work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. God saved Cornelius for Cornelius' sake. God included Peter for Peter's sake. He didn't need Peter to save Cornelius, but he included him because there was a work that would happen in Peter during this. And God recorded this in the Bible for the church, for the church's sake. Amen? Amen. Because we need to understand what God is doing. I asked earlier, whose law are we following? Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? The law of Christ is love. Moses gave us ten commandments. Jesus boiled it down to two. Love God and love everybody else. You do those two things, you can't break any of the commandments. We're under the law of love, the law of Christ. Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, There is now for no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And dear friends, if, if the law of Christ can make us free, just like Peter said, who are we to judge anybody else? Amen? That same law of love, the gift of salvation, uh, can make them free just as well. And not only whose law are we following, 
But whose grace is it anyway? Whose grace is it that saves people? You can extend grace to people, but it's not your grace that saves them. It's God's grace that saves people. And, and the Bible teaches us here in the last verse, uh, or in verse 18, that not only was grace the gift of God, but repentance also was the gift of God. Because he, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted. He gave them repentance unto life. So it doesn't matter if other people are like us or not. It only matters if they've been cleansed by God. And God is the one that does the cleansing. In closing, what did Job, Daniel, Paul, and Peter all have in common? Job said this in chapter 9. Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, what doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the, his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? That's what Job said about God. Daniel said in chapter 4 that the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Paul said in the book of Romans, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, everybody in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What did these men have in common? They all understood what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 33. That he said, meaning God, I will make my goodness to pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Not the preacher. Not the church, not the Christian, God. God knows who's going to trust in him and God chooses whom he will show mercy to. It's his decision, not ours. And so just like Peter, our only response when the Lord says go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We're not responsible. As a matter of fact, we're not even responsible for what we say when we get there. The Holy Spirit will give us words. Because I know what happens. A lot of times we think in our mind, oh, I don't know what to say to them. And I, I, my, words, uh, I'm, my words aren't going to save them. Well, you're right. Your words won't, but his will. And he'll use you in that time if you'll be willing to go. But to be willing to go, you have to care. And you have to love. And God gives mercy to whom he gives mercy to. I believe that whosoever will come before the throne of God, come. Aren't you glad that the, the ground is level at Calvary? Amen? Yeah. It doesn't matter who you're from. Some people say, well, I didn't grow up in church. and I didn't. That's fine. The ground is level at Calvary. If you will come, 
by faith. If you'll come through Jesus, if you come by faith in him and in him alone, don't even have, I said earlier, don't have faith in your faith, don't have faith in your works, don't have faith in anything but Jesus. Say the man on the middle cross said I could come. You come by him, God will make you part of his family. He'll give you a new heart. He'll he'll do a heart transplant. He'll come in. He'll change your heart. He'll change your life. Some of you are battling things today because you're trying to do it by yourself. And if you keep doing what you've always been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've always gotten. Bring it to the cross and leave it there. Amen? I want to encourage you today, whatever you have, come and lay it down and pray about it today. If you need to be saved, come and get saved today. Give your heart to Jesus Christ and put this stuff behind you. Amen? We're going to stand and worship together. Would you come as we sing?